The Game Schooler podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Rec Raiders, our recommended game of the week, discuss the benefits of unplugging in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with the high five fantasy games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Dunko Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. the esteemed Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? I don't know about esteemed. It's going great, Doug. How are you? I am fantastic. Awesome. Did you play any games this past week? I played quite a few games this past week. And before I, I dive into that, I just want to give a shout out to two of our listeners. Okay. Uh, supported listeners of the pod. I don't have permission to use their last name, so I won't, but Matt and Ramsey, who are good friends of my sister, Julia, uh, they just got done attending Dice Tower in Miami, and they they are listeners of our show, so I want to give a shout out to Matt and Ramsey. We appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. Send us that five-star review, and I'll steal a game from Doug's collection and send it your way, but now that that's off... I probably won't even miss it. (laughs) No, man. Got some really good games uh, played. I played Power Failure. With uh, my oldest, and I played it really right after we recorded the show. I said, Josie, I I meant to play this with you this week. Let's play. And she loved it. That that just is such a solid game, episode 37. Um, How about you? Yeah, well, I had a little uh, game weekend, game day, I should say, with my, my niece and nephew and my brother. They came up, and we played a game that is out of print. There's a kick, uh, kick. It recently got kickstarted for a roll and write version of it, but it's a, a game called Long Shot, which is about horse racing. My brother, oh, yeah. just loves that game, and it's a shame that games go out of print. Uh, I think you cannot find this game for under hundred dollars at this point. What and higher in some some cases. So like you, eBay you... has some in the shrink wrap for. Two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, it's one of those. So your brother drives ninety minutes, brings his daughter, throws her in the car, and says, "Come on, we're going to go play long shot at Uncle Doug's." Yeah, because I cannot <laughs> buy it anywhere. Um, oh. And it just—it's such a weird phenomenon that I—it happens in other industries, right? I mean, yeah. a record will come out and it goes out of print, um, and I'm not sure why it just—why it feels different for other for us as gamers compared to. Other yeah. industries, it books, seems. It happens in books. You know, you it's can like, usually get it from a library or, yeah. So, and it's not like the uh, this long shot game. It's a horse racing game. So th- there's not a ton of components. It's yeah. not like it's a, a $400 Kickstarter box with fancy minis that you're like, oh, well, no wonder that's not, not out of print or, you know, that yeah. type of thing. And the funny thing is when I got it, I think I got it in a trade from somebody. Oh. And it was, you know, I but you have those games that you love, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, we played one other game in our house. It's not, we haven't ranked it yet. So tonight after the podcast, I'd like to rank it with you because I don't think it's going to make our recommended list. Okay. And that is Incubation. Okay. Yep. Uh, Dragon Bingo is what I call it. <laughs> My five-year-old Eliza loves it. She just calls it Dragon Game. 
and talk about a game that's great for decision-making and order of operations from a five to eight-year-old's point of view. I just want to preface that because yeah. if a gamer gets it to the table, they might be like, this is like bingo, but just a ton of fun. You know, some of the games, it's just about, hey, let's sit down and spend 40 minutes together and you see the excitement. There's a little wheel. I know you've played the game, but for our listeners out there, you throw a couple of dice and you can throw them a second time. And if you get two of the same like drops or fire, you get three of the resources. So there's a little bit of push your luck. Um, but if you roll a treasure chest, there's a dial in the middle that you spin it one time and you would drop a coin, a, a water drop and a fire where the dial lands. And so, and then you're trying to complete these dragon cards and Man, for whatever reason, that is our go-to game of the school year. My daughter loves that game. So it got to the table multiple times. Good, good. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Um, all right, anything else? That, any other games? There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about that are not no, game-related. shout-out, played Incubation Dragon game. Nope, I'm good. My list okay. is covered. So the other oh, thing. Oh, one other yeah. thing. Yeah. Just, I got feedback on my podcast, on our podcast. Sorry. Sorry, yep. I got a little excited there. <laughs> feedback on the podcast, which I will bring up later. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so I'm going to follow up from last week and talk about the production probability reminder that we, the notebook that we released yeah. last year or last year, last week. If, Both are true. <laughs> yes. Um, go ahead and download this if you haven't already. Give it a look. Let us know what you think. Uh, I uploaded it to Board Game Geek, so it's cool. on there to find on the Catan page. It's on our website, and that is what you know we talked about last week. Is we're trying to make tools that you guys can use in the classroom and with and your kids. And they're free, man. They're, and they're, they're free. They're so free. Yeah. go down and and download that. The other thing is, reach out to us. Uh, let us know that you're you tried it, you downloaded it, you played it. If you have any questions, email at gameschooler.com. Uh, we really want to interact with our listeners and and get you guys on board and, and asking questions that we yep. can help answer during the show. Um, and that's all I've got for our our good housekeeping uh, segment of the show. Anything else from no, you? No, way to keep your side of the street tidy, Douglas. That's great. <laughs> that's good stuff, man. All right. Well, let's move on to the recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Wreck Raiders. That's with a W, ladies and gentlemen, W-R-E-C-K Raiders by Kids Table Board Gaming, KTBG. Doug, give us the statistics. Uh, published in 2019, the designer is... Tim W.K. Brown and Josh Capel. The art is by Apolline Etienne. One to five players, 45 minutes, ages 10 and up. Rec Raiders is an innovative dice drafting worker placement system. Choose a die from the pool, then send one of your divers to any spot on the board with that number. But be warned, the spot you choose will help any diver in the spots next to you, whether they're friendly or not. Will you risk letting a rival in on your hall to get that treasure you want, or can you find a way to grab it yourself, some extra loot? Display your treasures to build museum exhibits or send them to your vault for huge scoring opportunities. 
Don't forget to visit the beach nearby to gather washed up uh, baubles and spend them to build awesome aquariums. When the game ends, you'll earn coins for your exhibits, your vault, and your aquariums. The player with the most coins wins. That's a fairly good description. It's a really good description. Great job, copy editors and writers <laughs> for KTBG. Yeah, yeah. so recreators that uh, you are sending out your divers to, to collect loot, and they're in five, four or five different categories? Four, yep. Three. Three different categories. Three. Yeah, there's blue... Uh, oh, you're asking or, me categories no. with colors, man? You yeah. take the lead on maybe, that one. Maybe there's five. I'm looking at the picture and can't tell you. Yeah. So anyway, you're trying to get different treasures and make collections of sets, and you're trying to make um, exhibits yep. that you're, you know, so you're, you're stashing some of the loot in your vault. You can put them out on exhibits that then uh, fulfill requirements, kind of like museum contracts, or you can... Use some of the extra stuff that you get to to build aquariums that can add a lot of points. Yeah, and there's... it's just a really solid game. And that that point of selecting out a a, a die, which is going to determine where your diver goes, um, is helping the other players potentially. And so it really adds this little kind of unique puzzle of how much do I help the people next to me, but I really want to try and get that type of treasure. Yeah, and that that little internal struggle that happens is is really cool. Well, and it's what objective are you going to try to carry out now, later, first? Yeah, right. Because there's multiple purchase points throughout the game, as you alluded to. You can buy a piece and and form an aquarium, but you can also trade in your resources and purchase a card. Uh, so I I like that about the game that you have multiple options. It's not like I am saving up all of my pieces to buy one thing. Yeah. It's on any given turn, you're presented with multiple options to buy multiple things. Yeah, it's one of those where there's a lot of points and there's a lot of scoring opportunities. So this has that kind of point salad thing we've talked about in the past yeah, where almost everything you're doing is good for you, which I think for, for younger players and older players, I it, there's a confidence building it that keeps happens people engaged, right? in this game that everything is is going in a positive direction. There's no take that element. In fact, even if you get, you can get bumped out of a diver spot, but then that just sends you to the beach where you collect stuff there. So it's never, yeah. nothing is ever really bad. And I like that. I think those type of games are really good, like I said, for younger players to increase confidence as they keep building up. And yeah. it's an enjoyable experience regardless of whether you win or lose because it feels good while you're playing it. So let's talk a little bit more, and I know they're not tables, they're ships, but let's talk a little bit more about how when you place your character, your meeple at a table, the person next to you gets paid and there's limited space. Let's explain that to the listeners so, so they can kind of get an inside look at the game. Around each dive site, so each dive site is going to give you a certain type of treasure. Around each dive site, there is a place for a diver corresponding to one of the six sides of a six-sided dice. So if I pick up a three, I'm going to go to a three spot with my diver. Well, If there's one available. If there's one available. If not, I'm going to bump somebody out of there. They're going to go to the beach, get some, some good stuff from there, some seashells and things like that. Now, if there's if I go to that same three spot and there's, say, say Michael's next to me at two and I'm next to me at four, I'm going to take two treasures from that but stack. But I'm going to get one. But Michael's going to get one for being next to me. So it's kind of your, your divers that are on the same ship 
helping each other out. Um, and that's how these little, that's the main way that you're getting resources. The interest, one of the cool things is that those dice are rolled into the, the lid of the, yeah. of the game box. And where they land, sometimes there's going to be bonuses if you grab certain number dice. So you might get a seashell if you take the five. In the dice selection phase. In the yeah. dice selection phase. So there's this other push and pull of, yeah, that's going to give me an extra little resource, but I don't really want that number. You know, that number spot's available. I really want a four. So there's a lot of interesting choices that, that you have to make throughout the game. And none of them are overly taxing. Like when no. we say there's a lot of choices, these are fast decisions. They're yeah. not something where you're like, well, if I do this and then I go here and then I jump over here and then you do that and that that's not happening. And nope. it's not one of those type of games. Um, I like too that this is a a family weight game that is good at teaching concepts like worker placement, dice selection, the point salad stuff. So things Press that are your luck, risk management, yeah, in there too yeah, in other ways. Yep. Part things that are part of a bigger gaming culture as a whole. And I think Kids Table Board Gaming, the company as a whole, does a very good job of designing games that are enjoyable for kids that are, are also or, enjoyable for the adults yeah, playing that with you the kids. Can, you can play at full full speed and, yep. and and be comfortable and enjoyable. It's not monotonous. Yeah, this this was an interesting podcast to prepare for because Typically, if I get on Board Game Geek or out in the interwebs and Google game and see what other reviewers are saying, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I have a similar experience. But the the weight on this game on Board Game Geek is 2.52 out of 5, which is one of the more complex games in our recommended list. And that has not been my experience. This no. is a game I am comfortable teaching. Typically, I'm only comfortable teaching games that are resemble my undergraduate GPA, so around that 1.5 to 1.9 <laughs> range. He can dominate a checkers teach like nobody's <laughs> business. I can. But um the, I just when I saw the that initial rating, I was like, ah, and then the age 10 plus, this is a game that Doug and I have played with our daughters and and they were 9. Uh 9 and 10. And I would say if you're a teacher, if you're a librarian, if you're reviewing this game, it would be one that would be good to play with your game group one time to form your own opinions and judgments. That's yeah. all that I'm encouraging you because what Doug just said about uh, this company, KTBG, did I get the initials right? Yes. We've talked about other companies where Doug has talked about Days of Wonder or I've talked about AEG or Ravensburger or Renegade where, oh, the company's doing some good stuff and here's the good stuff that they're doing. This is one of those companies from a family board game perspective that's doing what you just said. It's a game that kids can play that at the same time, I love playing this game. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, lot of, of strategies to explore. The The other thing too is this, the, the components and the artwork are really good cool. on this. They're this pre, one it's too, pretty cool. That, that provides that immersive experience the iconography is very good too so you know i've it's well documented my struggles with colors this is a game i that didn't happen at all not an issue no well and because i think that they all have symbols the right? same, that's what i mean the, yeah the, they all have symbols on the back of each each different color treasure has like three or four front sides so there's one that might be like armor and mm -hmm. there's like a shield and a, a sword and a helmet type of thing but then on the back of the tile it's 
it's got a symbol with a crown on it yeah. or something to the, those effects. So so everything is is not um, color dependent. So I, I've got to be honest here, Doug, and then I'll throw the mic back to you. But the first time we played this game, I, I found myself muttering that in-game reflection. And when I was driving home thinking about the game, I had a longing for a classroom again. I thought, man, that would be a great game to have to take into a middle school classroom and to just play. Because I think walking around the classroom, you would hear so many interesting things coming from the tables and the players. And when we played with our daughters, Margaret was doing the same thing that I was doing, kind of muttering after a turn. Well, if I just do this and then in the, and then you can hear the in-game reflection, strategy, yeah. analysis. You can actually hear it when people are playing. Yeah, I think this is a game that is better with a higher player count. Mm. I think there there's a little bit more stuff going on. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't a little slow bit, down terribly little, either. No, and a little of, more interaction. And it makes me think of, you know, you said you wish you had a classroom. I could see that this is a really interesting game to play. Say you've got 16 kids in your class. Yeah. That That'd you be would, a nice class size. Keep you going. would, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, unrealistic, I'm sure, for most most teaching teacher listeners, uh, for us. But imagine you have this perfect world of a sixteen, uh, sixteen kids in your class, and if you divided them up into groups of four, and each person, each group of four ran a, a player, yeah, for the you've game. Talked about this with other games. This that would work because of how this, the decisions are made. Yeah, and then this one you could do where every turn. You know, so whenever like the blue team, whenever it came back around, one of those four kids would pick the die. Yeah. And then the next time around, a different kid would pick the die. And you're all on the same turn or team, but you still have a little bit of agency of like, well, it's his decision yeah. to pick the die. Ultimately, it comes you know, down to he's what they going want to, to do. do. Yeah. And there's enough stuff going on where, which goes back to that point salad thing is like, I don't think anybody's ever going to do anything that completely derails right. the team, which. And when with the the way that the dice are rolled and and people bumping out, I imagine that this could be pretty interactive. Watching it around an Elmo or some sort of yeah. uh, projection device that that would that's uh, a good point would Doug. be interesting. So the only nitpick that I do have with this game is, and it's not a nitpick. I, we need to change that word. The nitpick is the, critique. It, 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 it's almost comment. like I want to say, be aware of yep. this. Is that it is a little busy. There's three or four different areas of... There's a lot to keep track of. You know, you can score points in your vault. You can score points by building aquariums. You can score points by exhibiting your treasures. And there's three or four different areas of the board. So that, I don't think it gets in the way of the teach because I think it all thematically kind of makes sense yeah. and works together. But it is going to kind of look like a mess on the table at first okay. when you first see it. They're just like, ooh, what the heck's going on here? And I I almost feel like when you say that the weight is 2.5, it's almost like you look at a picture of what it looks like on the back of the box, and you're like, oh, this has got to be way too complicated. But it's not. But it's not. No, because but I of think how people, all the that first. Yeah, that first impression yeah. is a thing that would be like, whoa, what? There's a lot going on but here. The pieces fit together well. Yeah. And the gameplay is streamlined because on your turn, I could be getting paid out. Yeah. And if I don't get paid out on your turn, well, then I certainly want to make sure that I'm going to put my person where you're not going to pay it out. Get yeah. Paid. And yeah. so there, there are those little tensions that are in there. I, That's an interesting critique 
or buyer beware. What are we replacing that pick with? I don't know. We'll, right. we'll get well, back we'll to that. But I, I that. feel like it just be aware of. Yeah. It's an awareness thing that might, uh, I don't know, not even cause for concern, but just something to be aware of with the game. Right? So I'm flash forwarding to the year. Let's pick one down the line, 2024, 25. Okay. And our future Ooh, listeners, it, it was a great, a very good year. <laughs> um, our future listeners are excited about this game. And it's this game could potentially be like a long shot. You know yeah. what I mean? That's my only thing. When I went on the hunt today for it, uh, okay, how much does Amazon, how much does, um, is it uh, Game Nerds, right? Yep. Right? And yep. l- looking for it. Oh, man, I just don't know if it's going to be around that long. And you brought this up with a different game before about a nitpick, and I really hammered you on it. But I think you were right. I It's just... A note of caution. If you're listening in the future, I I, I hope it's around. I hope there's a second print of it. It, It's an awesome game, man. And that's why you need to listen to us now. Now, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So stop listening to this episode and go to the current episode in 2025 and listen to that one. Will this still be in your collection in 2025? I think think so i hope so because if it's not it will make its way into mine (laughs) (laughs) so you hope it's not in my collection i hope that it is i've bought enough off of your used game shelf over the past few years all right so let's jump into some skills what do you have on this one well this is one where i have some feedback from a longtime listener someone that's been with us and they said there's been way too much agreement lately why don't (laughs) why don't you guys brawl anymore i said because we're picking great games and we're right (laughs) So I'm going to emphasize disagreement, Does, starting with you start first, right, Doug. Okay. Dexterity. No, dexterity <laughs> is not in this game. All right. So one of the core skills that I have, this is kind of an interesting one that I think pops up and is really important in this game, and that is observation. A game that rewards careful watching with attention to details and behaviors in order to understand and arrive at a judgment. Dang it, I almost picked that one too. You're right. Unfortunately, I can't disagree. Explain why observation is critical in this game and why so, you get rewarded for paying attention. Yeah, so you wanna you need to pay attention to where your opponents are placing their divers, what types of treasure they're going after, and you need to be aware of if you're both trying to uh, go after the same exhibit because that might get stolen right from, you know, if, if, if Michael gets there first and gets the treasures before I do, that thing's going to be gone. Yeah. And to... so there's, and you get rewarded when you're, when you're turning in treasure for an exhibit, if they're displayed in the exact order that they are on the card yep. or if not. So you, you kind of have to look and you're seeing, okay, what dice are available? Which dice did they take? Which ones do I think they might take? What might be there when I'm there? So there's a lot of looking around on the board, what spaces are occupied, what aquarium pieces are available, all that yep. type of stuff um, pops up. And I think it's it's something that works in this game because it's not debilitating. Yeah. You know, sometimes the observation, we've talked about this before, where it's like, I don't have time. I don't want a spreadsheet over here. You know, what what every other player is doing. Yeah. This game, I feel like it's manageable. Yeah, you're not creating a pivot table to keep track of gameplay. Yeah. And what the word that you said multiple times, and I was really hoping to disagree with you, but I can't because you're spot on here, is rewarded. The observant player gets rewarded. This is a game that you can see what people are planning to do. Mm-hmm. So if I'm paying attention... That is to my benefit because maybe I don't need to put a second diver at that ship with my three 
Because I think the next time Doug gets a three, he's going to put a diver there and I'll get paid anyway. So I'm going to go yeah. over to, to this ship where nobody's at. So, yeah, that's a great core skill. My core skill is comprehension. Uh, seems to be my go-to skill lately, but a game that requires players to perceive and understand concepts, ideas, functions, how the game works, rules, and mechanisms. With those different pieces that we talked about, and I'll admit the first time I played, I really needed a learning game, and I got crushed on the aquarium. I didn't go after any of the aquarium pieces. I think I had like partial aquariums all over the place. I don't you, and um, I I know because I spent the rest of the night crying. Oh, I'm sorry. It was pretty rough. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) but there's. The the more you play this game and understand and, and really comprehend what's happening, I think it's um it, it it allows you to have multiple strategies, I guess I would say, and respond to what's happening in the game instead of just getting fixed on, oh, I want to do that. I can't do that. Well, you know, the the that's where I'm at on that one. Sounds good. That I agree with that 100%. I also have process information. And I did. I had that as a, a, a throw-in filler, too. Come on, I want to disagree with you, Doug. <laughs> no. It's a game which students must examine or analyze information. A, a lot of the information is public. It's available. A lot of it. The cards that you're trying to purchase, the aquarium tiles where they're at, um, how many divers the other person has that need to go to a ship, and... The better you can process that and handle it in your head, um, the the better time you're going to have playing. Yeah, this next one I've got, it must have been so strong with me that I wrote it down twice. Uh, <laughs> came in with four tonight, huh? <laughs> on, a, on a list of five, I wrote something twice. Let's hear it. Is resource management. Oh, that's, I have that as three on my list. Take it, man. <laughs> a game that boosts a student's capacity to efficiently and effectively oversee available assets. And this is... Kind of interesting because there's uh, the way that you spend the dice is important. You know, that the moment you pick up a dice and decide where you want to put it, that's an asset that you need to allocate. But then, along the, as the game goes along, you are figuring out do I want to put that treasure in my vault or put it on display? Do I want to uh, spend these shells to, because um, the shells, there's three different types of shells that give you kind of different abilities throughout the game. Bonuses and, almost. Yeah, one of them yeah. can allow you to to add or decrease a pip from the die to make it something else. Another one you can you can use them to um, buy the aquarium pieces and things like that. So you do have resources. One is a wild. Yeah. That, yeah, that you're yeah. trying to figure out, okay, when's the best time to spend this? And I think it's an important part of the game. But especially that moment when you pick up the die and it's, Okay, this three can go in six different places or four or five different places. That's a really good point. Which one, which is the the right place? You have that little bit of processing time before you decide what the resource is. Yeah. That that type of resource management, because when I wrote it down, I've played three games lately, uh, two of them with you, two of them with my family, but Ticket to Ride, this game, and Juicy Fruits, they all have resource management in it but in this game i feel like the layers and levels of resource management are so much more there's more depth it's more complex because of all the different ways that those pieces can go does that make sense yeah it's not just one of those typical i get five fruit where do i spend the fruit 
or which which route do I want to throw down on, or how yeah. do I want to use my one wild? It's that I pick up a die. Now what am I going to do? And I have these other little tokens in my hand that will possibly change it or make something wild. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else do you got? Well, do you want to go through your last? No, I, I'm wiped out. I, I wrote down resource management five times. So um, that was that was my only. I've one. got two more. There's skills yeah, that we covered yep. in depth. Uh, I will talk about risk management. Because yep. it's a little bit different in this game, and I'm just doing a professional radio stall to grab that <laughs> definition. A game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. So I've played this with two players, and I've played this with four players. And in both instances, it was the, the, the risk is, do I wait Will that spot still be available for me to dive? Will that tile still be available for me to purchase? It was, it wasn't uh, like a huge oh I have to delay gratification. It was really, do I make this purchase? Do I take this action? And weighing that, trying to get inside the head of the other players of what they were going to do. Yeah, um, that's how I see risk management playing out in this game. Well, that and the idea of how much to me there's the the part of risk management and risk aversion is. If I put my diver in this spot and Michael gets an extra tile out of it, how much is that helping him? Yeah. And is it worth, am I getting enough out of it to make it worth giving some points away or helping somebody else out? And that to me is that, that is it worth it? Is it worth the risk that That's I'm going to get, tension, isn't get it? two tiles out of this, but Michael's going to get one and is that good um, is, is where that pops up for me in, in this one. Uh, the last one I have is strategic thinking, a game that encourages students to develop a process or long-term strategy for accomplishing a goal. Every time I played this game, there's always there are a lot of different paths that you can go, but you have a general outline of, oh, I think I'm going to try and stack up on this. I'm going to make a really big aquarium. I'm going to make, I'm going to focus on the vault. You kind of have your one or two areas that you're going to focus on, um, and that's where I think that. You know, there's another way that this one shines is that it's not, it's not singular in its goals. There are multiple ways to achieve those goals. Well, Doug, usually I'm Mr. Strategic, and you would be Mr. Tactical. Definitely and tactical in here. I tried I, to avoid I, it. Yeah, I couldn't avoid it simply because one of my favorite pieces about this game are using those little wild tokens, right? Yep. And so if being tactical, I don't know when what other players are going to do. And so I can finish a turn and think what I'm going to do next. But then when my turn comes around next time, I could have a whole different set of resources because of how the divers dove, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So being able to adjust in turn and from turn to turn is where I have it as tactical. And I have to tell you, it's one of the things I really love about this game. And I think five, six, seven, ten years from now would want to replay it over and over and over, especially as a family board game. Yeah. Um, but certainly some some game schooling implications here as well. Definitely a game that I think would grow and continue to grow with your family. Yeah. Right? It's something yeah. that you can play younger, and, and like you said, five years from now, you could say, play with your same kids, and they're not going to, oh, Dad, that was a baby game yeah. that we played a no, long that's time, a good a, point. time ago. You know? So I think that in itself is something to be applauded um, from a game design standpoint. 
as you were, ta- you were talking, I was thinking about why we disagree less, and I think it's because you have less off-the-wall, crazy <laughs> <laughs> skill suggestions. Creativity. <laughs> <laughs> you know that uh, part where they make nothing in this game? <laughs> Creativity. Um, but, so- hey, let's let's give a shout-out and give some props here to Tim W.K. Brown and Josh Capel, I'm, per- I'm assuming is a pronunciation, on just designing a – a heck of a game uh, based out of Toronto, Canada. So this this is an awesome game, and it's one yep. that I hope gets more publicity and buzz because selfishly, I want to be able to walk into classrooms a year or two down the road and see this game being played. Yeah, so that is Rec Raiders by Kids Table Board Gaming, uh, this week's recommended game of the week. Let's move on to the School of Gaming. School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful, we hope, ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll talk about benefits of unplugging. Yeah, so we talk about uh, game-based learning, game schooling, game-based learning unplugged, and that whole idea of getting away from screens and devices. And when the in the past, we've talked about the 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 scar of the screen and and some of the problems of the amount of screen time yeah, yeah. that our that our kids are getting so we kind of wanted to talk about why we consciously chose the idea of unplugged with board gaming mm-hmm. and what those benefits are and I think one of the big ones just to kick it off right from the start is the idea of social interaction and connections human connections yeah um, that as people get more digital those become a rarer commodity. Yeah. Right? Well, and sitting down at the table with people who are different. I've shared this on the podcast before. Doug, when I came over to game night here, I didn't know if I was in the same level of nerdery as the rest of the group. And what I found was a, a group of incredibly accepting, kind, and patient people who are going to take their time to teach me how to play board games. And that's what we focused on. Our differences outside of game night, they never came to the table. And you could, you know, four very different people. Yeah, yeah. And that that's, a, a, to me, that's one of the benefits that I think from an educational standpoint, you're there to, to play the game and to develop skills. Yeah. And there just aren't that many arenas that, that you can walk into and, and do that. Yeah, I think there is a lot of truth to that, the idea of the – the labels disappearing, you know, eventually you're just the blue player. I'm just the red player. It doesn't matter. You know, everything disappears and kind of goes into the game, um, which I think is a great value of that. The other thing is, you know, you think about social media and the stuff that's online and interactions online, sometimes just getting together with other humans, there's a lot of over-exaggeration and hyperbole in conversation online that doesn't exist in the real world. Yeah. Like when you get down and you're face-to-face with people, I think sometimes we forget what that interaction is like and that we are all actually humans. And the positive, the positivity of sitting at a table with somebody and playing a game with them and throwing the rest out, that interaction, that that's what real interaction is like. Yeah. Not, you know, 128 characters on a keyboard that I need to express my entire thought 
in in that small amount of time. So it needs to be succinct. And I think that communication and interaction in an offline world is so critical to development. Yeah. Doug, do you remember um, a few years back when I was fortunate enough to get to go to Belgium and what what I brought home from Belgium for you? What gift did I bring home? Uh, an you. exit escape game in German. <laughs> was it German or was it in Flemish? Because uh, I was the, in Belgium. It, it was in a, <laughs> so six. I guess six I, of one, half a dozen of the other. I took the international gaming concept a little too far. I was so excited. I walked into a board game shop and I thought, "Oh, Doug would love this," and, and the group was fantastic, <laughs> fantastisch, and they were so kind and welcoming and asked if I wanted to play. But I had to go to this conference, and this, this is like 10 a.m. on a Friday morning, you know, and people are in there playing board games. And uh, it's an international hobby. Yeah, in a world world where every designer is trying to make their game language independent, Michael brought me a game that is entirely (laughs) language dependent. Sorry. (laughs) But, yeah, I was a new gamer at that point. Uh, But I I love that aspect of of the hobby and of unplugging. And I shared about this a few episodes back. My, I play board games with family members. And the last time I played a board game with my ne- nephew, Matthew, we played Quacks of Quedlinburg, and I got to see his brilliance. You know, Matthew isn't 14 or 12 or 9 anymore. I got to see a, a 16, 17-year-old young man making really smart decisions. And so people grow over time as they play games. Yeah. And you do see skills develop. Yeah, among a group, and and that, yeah. that shared yeah. shared development is that you can applaud and appreciate that. Oh, remember the one time you got destroyed in this, and and now you didn't. You know those things. Like, <laughs> that you're that, just dying to write that on somebody's yeah. report card, right? <laughs> yeah. At the beginning of the that really term, only they ap- got destroyed in this. Now they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> growth <laughs> really only applies to Michael. <laughs> uh, remember that first game? You just really you scored three points, and the rest of us had 150. No, yeah. but that development uh, um, uh, amongst your group. And that, that group, you can think of this in a classroom, the development that would happen if you started day one to the end of the school year. Yep. You know, and those kids sharing in the, in the development and those interactions that are happening um, would be huge. Yeah, and I, I, I look forward to playing games unplugged. I mean, I'll come over here and play, and, you know, my team, which you never want to say your team out loud because you're going to offend somebody, but if it's the Bears or the Cubs— or the Bucks. If my team's on in the back, I will intentionally sit with my back towards the television because I don't want to be distracted. Yeah. And I love my team, but where I'm at with gaming right now, it is one of the few times where I get to be unplugged. Yeah. If I'm playing with my family, my phone goes into the basket, and I I'm playing this board game with my family. My watch is taken off my wrist so yeah. that I don't have other distractions coming in. The TV is turned off. Let's unplug and play. Yeah, make those connections. The one last thing I have is the idea of the the no algorithms. Yeah. You know, you you think about, oh, I wonder about well, if I should get a, a solar panel for my roof. You and mean then, you think about that? And, you just thought about it, Yeah, right? I just thought about it, and then all of a sudden I <laughs> get 8,000 ads in every website that I go, are you thinking about replacing your roof? Um, are your electrical bills too high? You know, that type of thing that happens, like, that's happening to our kids. Yeah. You know, we're watching things on Netflix and, and YouTube. Constantly. And here's the new recommendation and all this stuff to try and suck them into that world. 
Um, this gives you a little respite away from that. Yep. For whether it's a, a 15 minutes or an hour. Um, in my wildest fantasy dreams of, of playing games with my children would be someday to play like a campaign or a legacy game that would stretch out over a period of time that they're excited to play. Whether that will happen, probably not. But you can always dream, Doug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a dreamer. Um, but that type of thing is getting them away from all of the 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 AI yeah. that's increasingly encroaching on our life, right? Yeah. Anything else, or can I add one that could take it slightly differently? Yeah. No. Go ahead. I think in a school setting too. The benefits of being unplugged, Doug alluded to the algorithm. It allows students to see a different point of view of design. It allows students to see through a different lens of how pieces are put together. I love design, you know, and, and I, I love having you know students design things and 3D print and this and that. Yeah, that that's awesome. But when you sit down at the table and, and you have a group of people playing a game, and you get to that next level of how was this game put together and why did the designer choose to allow for four actions or three actions? Uh, it just brings something really, really awesome uh, to the school setting. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, that is the benefits of, of playing Unplugged, something that we're very passionate about here. Let's move on to the high five. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. This week's High Five includes the top five list of family-friendly fantasy games. Um, yeah. So Keep it family-friendly here, Doug. Yeah. So in this one, fantasy is such a, a broad, broad topic. I have limited it to the traditional tropes of wizards, orcs, and trolls in that world. Not necessarily... You know, oh, there's so many different areas of fantasy that I wanted to narrow it, narrow it down. So no witches. No. Okay. Maybe. Wizards or trolls. Well, that that you know that the Lord of the Rings tropes that <laughs> yeah, everything D and D that has has broadened that. So that. Star Wars or Star Trek would not be fantasy; they would be science fiction. Correct. Um, yeah. All right. All Harry right. Potter would, would be fantasy. No. No. Well, I mean, it could be. That's it's such yeah. a slippery slope. Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. Although I can't think of an awesome board game. I, I talk about. I feel hey, like we're going to get that. hate mail here. Keep going. Keep what, going. What, <laughs> what a fantasy game! Would is. it be great to get some hate mail? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pile it on. That's Michael at no. <laughs> uh, okay. So I have one honorable mention, and the only reason this is not on the list is cost entirely but every once in a while it goes on sale which is lord of the rings journeys in middle earth if you're looking yeah. for a great cooperative game based around the tolkien universe this i just is, can't bring myself to throw down the cash man and yeah, i have it's a probably camel, camel, like camel. 70 or 80 bucks it, right it, it just dropped to 62 and then the next day it went back up in the mid 70s it's consistently yeah. in the mid 70s yeah so not not crazy, Phenomenal but game. but nice, cool app inter uh, integration in that one, um, and I can't recommend that one highly enough. But yeah. it is just if you out like of, Lord of the Rings. Take a look. All right, so on to the proper list. Number five is Ethnos, which I think we talked about talked one another time. Yep. Is a 
an area control game where you're trying to put your pieces on the on an island. But in order to do that, you have to uh, play a set of cards, either based on color or the uh, race of the cards. So whether it's uh, wizards or halflings, something like that, and they all have kind of a separate uh, power of allowing you to place more pieces out or move pieces, those different type of things. And, and you can get rewarded for having the biggest set. The problem is, is that anything that you don't use in the set that you placed out goes into a market that everybody else can play. So you can collect as many cards as you want, but if I have 10 cards and only use three of them in a set that I'm going to play, seven cards are going out into the market and people are like salivating over those and there's no way to avoid it. Is it a deck builder? No. 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 I think this was an honorable mention because I searched our website and I didn't see it. And okay. you usually get everything that hits hits a high five list. So yeah, it was so, an honorable mention for maybe immersion or one of those. But yeah. So that that is Paulo Mori. Yeah, yeah, such an interesting the the design is not that the artwork some people have issues with, but whatever. It's a it's a, a great game. Um but that whole thing of like uh, I need more cards, but I Do you can't. Have it? Ju- yeah, but I can't just keep adding more. I'm just going to be throwing a bunch away. Is such a cool struggle. Awesome. Number four. So this one would be really high on my personal list, but uh, a little bit lower on the ranking based on the complexity of it. Okay. And this is role player oh, uh, by Thunderworks Games. This is a game where you are actually building up your D&D character through dice drafting. Yeah. And you are Phenomenal f- game. you're filling in your grid of stats trying to get the dice to add up to a certain range in order to score each column and you're trying to get equipment and everything. So it's this whole concept of building up your D&D character before you actually play D&D is yeah. what this game is. And- so you never actually do anything with the character, but it is a great game to play i don't know you've played this right yeah it's it's one of my favorites the only caveat i'll say from a game schooling perspective there's some scary art on there yeah so it's a high school level game i wouldn't bring this into a middle school it's a a more of a mature gamer um standpoint but talk about the decision making that happens in the game i love yeah i yeah i think anybody over seventh eighth grade you're going to be fine probably yeah i'm just being extra cautious with our listeners so they would at least but i don't want to scare them away that it's not family friendly or that that you can't play this with with older kids um great other games in the series too and to to me this is where it's like there's chunky decisions going on here yeah you know you're getting towards that higher end of complication this is not something you're going to yeah. you know play this with is one of my favorite grader. games this you is know, uh, so uh, i love this game uh so that is role player the next how do you say keith's last name uh i'm not sure m-a-t-e is it is it jk i'm not sure okay okay sorry i've always wondered that yeah, so... Thanks for designing such an awesome game, Keith. I'll uh, let you get back to your list. Yeah, no problem. Number three, uh, a recommended game of the week, Castle Panic. Yep. Which I think is just a phenomenal game. Why'd you put that in fantasy? That's not fantasy. There's you're, castles. You're fighting oh, the trolls and orcs that are attacking the castle. Okay, are, good boy. Are, you got me. <laughs> I forgot about the troll orc wizards. Go ahead. I, <laughs> okay, it fits right I, in I your wheelhouse of fantasy. I know those are in the tar pits of La Brea, but 
Um, Next thing you're gonna tell me, <laughs> Princess Bride isn't real. That's a, actually that's a documentary. <laughs> that's what um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So Castle Panic, cooperative game. You are fighting off all the trolls, <laughs> the orcs and uh, goblins. But that no are, wizards. Yeah, that are trying. Unless you get the expansion, the Wizard's Tower expansion. Oh shoot. <laughs> Uh, so they're trying to attack your castle. You're trying to keep it standing. You're using archers and swordsmen to to keep them at bay. We go into great length in our episode on that. Episode 25. All right, episode 25. Recommended game of the week. All right, number two is a game called Small World, which is another area control game. In- I haven't played that one yet. It's a Days of Wonder classic, right? Yes, which you are picking a characteristic and a... Uh, race of creatures so you might be flying goblins or um uh trying to think what some of the other ones are mining orcs orcs sure yeah (laughs) they're in there uh trolls of some sort anyway you're putting your pieces out skeletons i think are on there um you're putting your pieces out on the board and trying to conquer different areas but every time somebody conquers you you're going to lose one of the you know some of your pieces and so it eventually gets to a point where you're not really earning very many points on your turn you need to put that race in decline and grab a new one and the thematic elements of each race actually kind of work in this game so is it is it a civilization builder where one civilization replaces another civilization like explain a little bit kind of It, it would be a situation where Say there's 20 spaces on the board. I don't know how many there are on on an island or a, yeah. a landmass. I'm going to put down three of my chips on a, a place on the board. You come along with four, and you're going to knock mine out of there. Okay. Okay, and then some of those are going to come back to me, and then some of them are going to permanently go away. Okay. And then on my turn, and so then at the end of your turn, you're going to get points for all of the areas you control. Then when it's my turn, I'm going to redistribute all of the people that have come back to me. Okay. And keep trying to spread out and that type of thing. Where, and this one where it has like uh, dwarves that are good in in mining situation, they can go into the mountains. Oh, and sure. Special different things characters. like that. So you're combining elements that make it uh, really thematic, more so than you would think for a game that's really just about area control and and taking control of area uh, different spaces on the board. Um, and number one is a phenomenal game. I'm not even sure what the cost of this game is now, but it's just so good. It's a dexterity go- game called Catacombs. Mm. And this is a game where you are you have characters that are on a, a mat or a game board that you are flicking around trying to... Uh, usually one person and takes kind of the goblins and the orcs and stuff like that. And third edition, or, yeah, yep, okay. yep. And then the the other t- side is the heroes, and you're moving around. You're trying to shoot arrows. You shoot an arrow with a little, uh, what? What do you? Is it out of print? Uh, well, it's no, it's sixty dollars. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. So th- I know there's been a couple Kickstarters on there. So if there's a wild variation on price it could be some of that type of stuff yeah i was looking at a deluxe edition go ahead sorry to ruin your Um, thought here no so you go around and like for example you may be an archer and you have a disc that you move your character around but then when it's time to shoot the arrows 
you have like little tiny discs oh, that cool. you flick to try and hit. And if you hit the the opponent, they're losing health. And you're trying to 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 reduce their health down to zero. So it's a back and forth tactical uh, dexterity game, but it's really fun. It kind of sets up several dungeons that you go through, and I think it just really feels like that fantasy theme like yeah. i feel like the archer or i feel like the gelatinous cube that's going so around even though it's a dexterity game i mean can kids play it is it how important is it to have the fine motor skills i would say you're probably going to be looking at fourth grade and up okay um the art is really um cute it's like a cute oh, style cool. of art so not, it's not scary no not yeah. scary at all uh i think to appreciate the I scare easily, Doug. The yeah, the the tactical elements of it, you probably want to get towards that higher level. I'm not going to play this with a six year old. Yeah, they're, they're, it's going to be all over the place. But there's <laughs> but some half of the fun is being terrible at you know, yeah, flicking, flicking discs. Yeah. You know that's a, you can only do so much. Uh, so that is my list of of top five fantasy games. That's awesome. You want me to do a five to one recap here? Coming in at five is Ethnos. That's from 2017 ETHNOS. The weight is 2.02 out of five. The designer is Paolo Mori and artist John Howe, and that comes from Simon. Coming in. Come on. Come on. Come on. You think I would know that by now? We're on episode 38, but I'm a slow learner about some things. Number four, one of my personal favorite games is Roll Player. That's R-O-L-L Player, common spelling on that. 2016, the weight is 2.41 out of 5. The designer is Keith uh, Mateika. Mateika, yep. The artist is J.J. Arosa and Luis Francisco. Now, now just to, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the idea that, so, you know, we talk about Board Game Geek ranking and, and the weight of games. Yeah. Theoretically, according to Board Game Geek, Role player is weighted less than rec raiders are recommended game. Of the week, There's no way, which is just that's that's bizarre. So not enough people have rated rec raiders is what I would say. Disastrous, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, always interrupt. It's our show. Uh, the publishers Thunderworks Games, and they have a number of fantastic games available. Uh, Castle Panic came in at number three, also a recommended game of the week a few episodes back. That's a 2009 release by Justin Dewitt. Wait on that one, Doug. What what is it on the Koteki scale? One point seven five. Oh, close. One point six six out of five. Publisher is Fireside Games, and That's at number correct. two, we have Small World from Days of Wonder, two thousand nine. Weight is two point three five out of five. Designer is Philippe Kayertz, and artist is Miguel Coimbra. And oh, I struggle. I, I believe it's Cyrel. Daujin, uh, D-A-U-D-J-E-A-N. I apologize. I, I always try my best on names, but it is an international hobby, and I, I got a little Wisconsin accent that comes out from time to time with names. And our number one game of the week, Catacombs, the third edition from 2015. Designer Ryan Amos, Mark Kelsey, Aaron West. Artist is Quanshai Moria. And the weight is 2.25 out of 5 on that one. And this is one of your favorite games, right? I know you have it featured it's a on your shelf. It's a good, like, well, it's, it's the, high on my it, want to play list. It's a giant box. That's yeah. why it's featured on the shelf because it doesn't fit I've in any other shelf. I've been staring at it every time I walk into yeah. your game room here. Great list, Doug. All right. So that's the high five fantasy games. 
Uh, as we wind down here, we want to remind you not to turn off the podcast. There's something very important coming. I don't know what it is, but I don't want you to turn it off right now because we need to tell you to subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at GameSchoolerU. But most importantly, and this is why you waited to this moment, I want to personally thank you for listening and spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate I it. I thought you were going to do a Kickstarter so people could get solar panels on your house or something. No, no. Okay, that, quiet down. Okay. They're listening. <laughs> okay. They're always listening, Michael. Episode 38, Doug. All right. Get out there and start game schooling.